Hello and welcome to the Trucking Driver Podcast. I'm Dougie Rankin. And I'm Paul O'Callaghan. Nice to have you back on the podcast again, Paul. This is in danger of becoming a regular thing again. It is indeed, yeah. Even though I haven't really done done anything much uh, different or, or exciting since I was last speaking to you, but I'm sure I'm sure we'll come up with a few topics anyway. Uh, it, was, it was only a couple of weeks ago when, when we were having a catch-up and you were doing some walking floor transport sort of stuff. Has that been the same sort of things you've been doing over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, that's that's been the very same, yeah. Um, nothing much changes w- with it, Dougie. It's all just uh, short-haul stuff, um, you know, bad luck, bad... I saw someone actually, one of the guys at that a similar line of work had a... Um, you know these things now guys do, like a, I call it a windscreen tattoo, where it's like a little kind of an oval slogan on the windscreen. That, that seems to be a big yeah, thing. Yeah, because up in the middle, it's like, yeah, it's like, you know, make yeah. your dreams come yeah, true and all that kind of, you know... <laughs> fundamental it's five o'clock so really you know it's five o'clock somewhere real real yeah oh deep deep statements yeah it's like to get it you know tattooed on your arm or or tattooed across i can't say anything about that um, no i'm just looking at those (laughs) yeah so anyway uh so what what is um one one in particular which stood out was uh, heavy loads on bad roads so that's more or less what 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 i've been doing heavy loads on on bad roads and uh Actually, the only difference was I was in a different truck for a couple of days this week. So the R580, I'm driving, had to go back. Let me think. I just got it serviced, but they didn't have a part that was needed, which is uh, an ECU for the PTO. So anytime I wanted to engage the PTO, I had to switch off the engine, uh, restart it, engage the PTO before the fault had come up anyway. So it went back in to get to get that done and at this when i was sending it back in i noticed a little squeal from the i think it was like the attentioner pulley for the for the fan belt so it got those done and i was in an r520 just a, a low roof r520 uh classic generation or classic shape as, as you like to call that's them. a rare truck uh, there many of them going about yeah, not, i would have thought too many of them no I, it, not well flat yeah roof. it's it's a th- exactly yeah it's, it's a 2015 R520 uh, twin steer so it's I presume it's ADR spec it's got that it, the panel you know between the, the cab and the chassis at the rear is, is covered in yeah fiberglass but, thing um, fiberglass thing yeah um, not, not a not a bad it actually seemed to be a really, really good puller so one, one of the other guys that had driven it I said it to him I said that thing because uh, when I got to the Weybridge after my first load I was I was up, up at full weight which I, I didn't even no, when I loaded it and I was chatting to one of the other guys because it's kind of just sort of a spare truck at the moment and if, if something else is in for service it'll be it'll be the spare truck so he uh, he seemed to think he says yeah I think that thing is putting out about 620 like she's seems like it's, someday, it's remapped, someday remapped uh, nobody knows <laughs> well well we don't know we don't know it's just a bit of a question mark over but a uh, very very gutsy good performer and, like. and as we said before yeah the 520s get a you know they get a bit of bad bit of mixed press i i don't know what's the that that truck was bought second hand and in fairness uh it's it's just been on those bad roads there was quite a few rattles you know from the wind kit and i was i i actually feel sorry for any of the trucks that are on that on that work because it's um the roads are appalling but uh, the only other, other difference was i had a lagrasse trailer which uh, i didn't have my automatic tarp which i have in the stads so that means you have to get up oh. and climb up in the front, roll it back, and then when you when you pull it back over um, with a rope, or you have a long you have to attach a long rope to it before you roll it up, so that you can uh, reach that when you're 
when you're on the ground and then you have to do five straps um, each side, which doesn't seem too bad. But when you get used to the luxury of an auto tarp and two straps, uh, everything seems to be a bit more awkward. So I'm a little bit spoiled at the moment, Dougie. Oh, I can imagine. That, that was kind of... I've been mortified yeah. having to do a manual sheet. Good grief. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, so that was that was kind of my my week anyway yeah um it's it's kind of pr- pretty fresh here at the moment i didn't work yesterday there's always there's always a bit of saturday work as well if you wanted but um i had uh, had a bit of writing to do so i had to decline on the saturday work and, and get that done sorry so have, we'll have a <laughs> yeah no that's all right no i don't I, I i don't i don't mind it's nice it's nice to be able to um i love driving but it's nice just to be able to sit down and, and do something creative as well on the laptop so that was, that was my week anyway, Dougie. What about you? Uh, I went to Sweden with Scania to go on the launch for the new Super 13-litre engine range, which also encompasses the new axles and gearboxes uh, and fuel tanks, everything. It's it's more of an update than when they went to the next gen because that was just a cab upgrade. This is all new mechanicals throughout. So Scania went pretty full on with it. They had 21 people from the UK and Ireland out at it. Um, quite a few um, uh, guys, the YouTuber guys, the road legends, there were about six of, the, six of them uh, out there. So there'll be quite a lot of um, video stuff come out from it. I did some video things as well, which I need to edit together. It was uh, a decent trip. Some press trips will try and get you out in one day and then back the next. And it can be really... People think it's exciting and glamorous and it can be quite a hard slog. But they, they had us out on the Tuesday and back in on the Thursday, so it, it wasn't bad. I got to drive the new 500 on the road, which has, I think it's 2,700 newton metres of torque now, which is a lot. And I got to drive the 560 and a couple of other ones on the test track, including the one with Scania's new mirror cam, which is a prototype. Uh, so uh, quite a lot, uh, quite a lot uh, out it for the magazine and to post it, post online. Uh, the engine is completely new. It's got twin camshafts in it. It's got a single piece cylinder head. So this is the, this engine is going to take them right up until the end of presumably when they stop making diesel engines. I'm not sure that that's going to be in 2040 for the whole world by any means, but. Um, the the five sixty's definitely got a fair bit about it. That's two thousand eight hundred newton meters of torque from nine hundred RPM. So it's definitely starting to starting to encroach into V eight territory. But you would hope that it's got better fuel economy. Whether or not they're going to get people to hand in their V eights, I I I'm not so sure. People in Ireland and parts of Scotland and uh, parts of England is in Wales as well really love them, you know. So I'm not sure it's going yeah, anywhere. <laughs> Was there any? Was it? Was everything centered up there uh, around this new six-cylinder? I know you were saying there's new axles and and various componentry. Uh, was there any emphasis at all on the V8s up there, or was that, it everything? This is centered on the V6. Completely focused on the six-cylinder engine at this point, because um, this is they've invested a must be billions in it. I guess it's got the new gearbox as well, the G33 which is, um, it doesn't have like the synchros in it like the old gearbox and it's got a completely different spread of ratios in it and it's got overdrive as well, um, which it came in last year. Some of the V8s that have come in now have got that gearbox and it's been now extended to the, the six-cylinder. The technology on it is really good. You can now activate, there's a, a change to eco-roll. All you need, if you want to engage eco-roll when you're driving along 
30 miles an hour, you can just blip the throttle and it'll go into eco roll. It's the same when you're going downhill, the previous function, where you could just tap the brake and it would hold it at that speed. They've also got a much improved compression release brake, which we would call an engine brake, because they can get much greater stopping power from the way that the engine operates now. And you can have that in conjunction with a retarder, but also, crucially, you don't necessarily need the retarder if you're not driving in super hilly sections. So the engine brake only weighs 7 kilograms, whereas the retarder's over 100. So you're obviously, if you're on payload critical work, then that 100 kilograms, you're getting that back, which is... Which is pretty useful. Uh, and where, where is the where is the the lever? So the, the with the old ones that that um, the well, I think it was more so the exhaust brake. It was that little button no. on the floor, I, which I, you, I I ended up hitting that the other day, and I was on the phone at the time. I thought I, I thought that because I was already having that, after hearing that little squeal from the from the tensioner pulley, I thought, oh, that's it, something's let go, and then I looked down, and oh no, I've just hit that little, which was a ridiculous place to have it on the floor, so where is it now? It's, it's up on the right-hand stock, and you've got, well, if you've got the retarder, you've got the two buttons on it to operate it automatically, so you'll just run it off the stages, pulling that down. When it's got the retarder, uh, when it doesn't feel that it needs to use it, it will just use the compression brake, so it's quite, you get quite, you know, when you're running at low speeds, and you're trying to, like, glide gently to a halt, or you're just trying to hold... Mm hold it back a bit on a groundy it'll only use a, a compression bit. brake and it felt really progressive you could get it just to do exactly what you wanted it to do and they've also got active yeah. steering now as well so you can steer it with one finger uh, and everyone's oh really so they've they've it sounds like they've they've taken Volvo's uh, yeah. lead on that on the on the Volvo dynamic yeah. steering well, as well the, the, but it's good it's good it's good that they have that compression brake because I, I felt it was you had a retarder which was brilliant but I mean not every truck have, have Trucks have retarders because they're so expensive and so heavy. And if you didn't have that in a Scania, you didn't really have anything. Because that R520 I was driving didn't really have... Forget about that oh, yeah. uh, exhaust brake. If you had the time, so... It was rubbish. <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah. They've also updated the fuel tanks, and there's a whole new AdBlue system in the truck. The truck will now use more AdBlue, but the, they also quote that it uses substantially less diesel. They're quoting 8% overall fuel savings, and in some applications you can potentially get more than that. But eight percent's what they're going for, and there was there's rumours flying about that it is going to be a new benchmark in fuel economy, supposedly. Which I think the Volvo Turbo Compound is the one that's best on fuel at the moment, and Scania are really seeking to take that honour away from them going forward. But um, yeah, there's a new setup on the diesel tank where it's got a water trap as well, so you're, there's more usable volume in the tank, even though it's smaller. And you can just go and crack the nipple on it and it'll drop the water out this separate tank so it doesn't get into the fuel at all. It's pretty clever. There's a lot of clever stuff on it, new technology. The only thing I didn't like was the mirror cam, which uh, I must point out that this is a prototype truck. But having said that at the same time, it's not right. When I was driving around Scania's test track with normal mirrors, at no point did I lose the rear of the trailer in the main mirror. You could always see the back end of it. As soon as you're around the corner, you're losing half the trailer in the main screen on the mirror camera. Half of it. And if you look at the top screen, which is about sort of four inches by sort of four inches, then you can see the entire trailer. But because, because of that, you're focusing on a tiny screen the whole time to see what's going on with your trailer instead of the main mirror. So I see no benefit at all. I just Mirror cams are just... I mean... I'm all for technology, but this is just 
tick for the sake of it. So um, Scania's mirrors so are you... bloody good as, as they are anyway, so yeah, I don't, it doesn't I, seem I right. It, it, they can't go to production like that because it's clearly a downgrade from the mirror. The one thing that it does have in its favour was the 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 screen was a, a better definition than Mercedes has. It's not sort of it's more sort of normal DVD quality rather than an old VHS. So there there was that, but I'm like no no thanks. It's a retrofit anyway. So Scania aren't really pushing it that hard. If you get a new truck in, you can get the dealer to fit it to your truck if you want it. If you're some sort of tech freak, then you can have that on your truck. Uh, but they're they're obviously not completely convinced about it. But I don't, I, I don't know. Were you were you driving just a standard link trailers, or did, were you, did you drive any twenty five meters? That was all. Where what was was this all up in in, in close to Sodertal, yeah. up near Stockholm, or where? It was at Scania's demo demo center. The the road run that I did, yeah, it was a five axle forty ton Arctic, and it was the same. It was all going around the circuit. They do have other trucks there. Like they've got, they had, they had some re- interesting stuff lined up. They had a, a seven seventy, uh, four axle truck with a with a six axle low loader trailer with a big container on it. They weren't available to drive, and they had a really long wheelbase XT tractor unit as well, uh, among some other things. I I got pictures of them, so I'll be posting them on Instagram probably. Um, if I haven't done so already, there'll probably a few of them on there last week. Uh, speaking of of Instagram and 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 new scanners, I got a little TikTok video the other day. I'm not actually on TikTok, but it was it was a WhatsApp leading to a, a TikTok video. So um, a guy who I actually did a few days for before has just bought a brand new R650 twin wheel tag manual. R650 twin wheel uh, tag manual, nice. An R650. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Yes, an R650. I, I presume he would have possibly went for an R. Just to have a gear stick, I presume that's the because you can't get the gear stick in the S. So, and, mm. and supposed to be another one coming, quite a nice looking truck. So, when I when I saw the picture of it, I was thinking, I know a magazine editor that probably be interested in that, given that um, it's, you can count on one hand probably the amount of manuals. Yeah, well, the, the place now. They, they are still continuing to produce the manual gearbox as well because I did ask the question. Obviously, I, I thought that maybe they were going to delete it, but they haven't. They're going to continue oh. making it. It doesn't have that new style of gearbox on it because it's that gearbox is completely designed yeah. to work as an automatic unit. But you can still have a manual yeah. if you want one. Obviously, it's up to an R cab. You can't get one in an S, which wouldn't bother me in the slightest anyway because I think that the R cab's the better driving truck anyway. And with me not taking up a lot of space, I don't need an S cab anyway. And R's fine for me. I don't mind the little the little step in the middle that keeps the dust from getting right the way across the cab and uh, it makes a handling better. Moving on to the next section of the podcast, what we're going to do is we're going to introduce um, a, a new series for the podcast where we're talking about, we're going to be talking to various people about how they got started off driving their first trucks, their first notable trips and experience and it's Paul that's going to kick this off for us. Because you've obviously got a lot of experience in trucks. Your involvement with trucks, your interest in them goes way back to your childhood and everything. So we're going to be talking about how you started off and what you got got you into trucks and things like that. Yes? Yeah. Perfect. Uh, no, no problem at all with that. I can. Uh, all those memories are, are as, as clear as day. And um, although I didn't come from a, a, a transport background, I just had a... I've always had a had a fascination with trucks. I think it started off with tractors, and then it kind of 
graduated towards trucks and I can clearly remember the first truck I ever set into. I was about, I think I might have only been about eight years of age and uh, a family friend who, who had a truck and, and a farm machinery business uh, picked me up one Saturday morning and I can clearly remember waiting just down at the, where there was a canal which ran through the town and I was told where to stand and wait for him. This is about you know half seven or eight o'clock in the morning and I didn't know what sort of truck it was going to be. I, I had no idea. And I can still remember an F88 coming around the corner with a with a two axle step frame machinery trailer, a blue and white F88, mm. and, and climbing up into it, and and that was that was the start of it. And uh, that was kind of that was my only involvement with, with trucks was was uh, with that uh, that family. Then they went on to have they had a couple of F10s, uh, flat top F10s. The first truck I've ever driven was was an F10, like a 1982. F10, uh, we were they were exporting a lot of machinery at the time, so they'd put you know tractors into containers and uh, export them from the port in Dublin. So while he went off to do the paperwork or book in or whatever, he said just move the truck up as as the line is moving up. So who was that? Yeah, I, uh, I was I was just sitting. Uh, so it it was um it was a company. There was uh, well they now trade as overseas fant exports, but it was uh, Tim O'Sullivan and Sons uh, Farm Machinery. That's not not too far from from where I live here. And then the first truck I've ever driven on the road was a 1988 Volvo F16, which was a truck which was imported in from from England. And it's actually now with uh, Colin Lawson. Mm, still got it. You have no Colin. It so was in the magazine you, not long yeah, ago. Yeah, you'll be exactly. And, and you'll be going back there. So you'll see it. It's a, it's a short wheelbase, 1988 F16 470. So I remember they had, uh, they had that. For, and, and I drove that on the road we were coming back one night, coming late one night back from, I think we were up and down in County Kerry or somewhere like that, and just collecting tractors, I had a lot of tractors on, and really? said, here, do you want to have a drive? And, you know, I didn't even have a license around. No, I was going to say, were you, and, working, uh, were you working for the company at the time, sort of having left school? No, no, or? no, they were, no this, this was while I was in school, and while I was in school, I think, yeah, and then, and then um, I went to college, because I went to college for, for four years then, and, and you know, I was... Uh, I, I, I think I may have had a car license when I drove it, but anyway, I got in and, and it's just one of those drives I never forget, like just nighttime coming up through, um, I think I drove between Burr and Kilcormock, so a national road, but a, kind of a good, nice, wide national road of maybe up to the village of, you know, I, came, I remember coming into the village, village of Kilcormock and uh, not being used to driving a truck really and just being kind of so nervous that, you know, you weren't going to hit a car mm. or anything. And, and then, uh, of course, not, not being familiar with the, with the gearbox, I remember a couple of times he. I'm not sure if he was. Yeah, he probably had mobile because I remember actually when I was a young fella going around. Uh, his father had. Do you remember those old Motorola, the first of the mobile phones? It was just like a big heavy block of a thing. Yep. And that was to be my job. You know, I'd carry carry the carry the <laughs> carry the phone around. But uh, when I uh, I was driving through the village and I think he might have been on the on the phone and he was a phone in one hand and he reached across to find a gear for me with 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 the other hand. So that was that was my earliest memories. And I think from that moment, from those earliest memories, I was hooked. And it's funny, you know, a lot of guys, you, you kind of develop, develop a little bit of a, an affiliation with a brand. And I think it goes back that far for me with, with Volvo. I've, even when I started driving trucks on the continent, then it was, you know, I always wanted to be driving Volvos and other guys then that maybe their earliest memories are in a Scania and then they want to drive a Scania or Mercedes or whatever it's funny I think just those earliest earliest memories can often have a have a have a bearing on on what you 
what you'd be into in, in years to come. So so that's how I got started. Anyway, that was the earliest years before I even had a truck license, Dougie. So did, were you influenced at all by sort of TV or films that were about at that time? A lot of the American stuff, although that kind of pass you by. Like the sort of, a lot of guys our age were heavily into like Smokey and the Bandit, Convoy, Dukes no. of Hazzard. That wasn't something that no, influenced I, you sort of directly honest, or anything. Yeah. Absolutely not. No, I don't know why. I, I just, um, to be honest, with you, I, I actually I, I had no interest at all in American trucks. I, once I saw a bonnet, I was like, no, I can't, I can't relate to it. And um, I, I like all those films that you're talking about. I actually can't. I, I'm not sure if I've actually even seen them. To be honest, I just, I don't Stop know why. Stop the podcast. I, know, yeah, I can see him making faces. Yeah, <laughs> convoy, and maybe sometime I do need. But um, have to no, post you some DVDs. Just, <laughs> it, it was more just, uh, and I remember going on. Stuff like going and everywhere I went, just you know, wanted to be looking at trucks. And we went, we went off to uh, to the continent, you know, when I was a young fellow, family holidays, just with a you know, dats and stands and car trailer on the back, and going on the ferries and looking at the trucks like that's that's all I wanted. Just just amazed, and even and even going through England, um, back in the day, like I might see a, a truck that I recognised in the magazine and just kind of start hyperventilating, you know, it might be like an ERF or a yeah. Ford and something I'd seen, and I was yeah, so. Well, so that was that was it, yeah. I think when you went on holiday as a kid, I think for a lot of us, the journey to wherever you were going on holiday and then the return journey were the best bits of the whole thing. The bit in the middle, it was a pain. You just to be out in the <laughs> to be out in the road and on the big three lane motorways of England and the speed that the traffic would move and the volume and everything was exciting. I remember all those bits particularly well, as opposed to like whatever the hell it was we were doing, you know, in Cornwall or that. Couldn't care less. Just wanted to be on the road. <laughs> yeah, I definitely definitely agree with you there. That was that was it for me. So I used to um, and then the first trip that I got away I, I, I was 19 by the time I actually got to do a, a trip out to the continent and, and I still didn't have a, a have a truck license at that stage so could you have got one then uh, or was it 21 uh, oh I could have I, yeah I could have you, you, you could so I think um, I think that the sort of deal was here at, uh, at home was uh, go and get your third level qualifications and then then go on and see about driving just kind of get something underneath your belt and um I think I might have kind of I probably just stuck to that, yeah. Even though, like, of course, the the, the fascination was still there, but uh, no, you could you could have kind of did your Arctic license at um, I think maybe eighteen here, but I left it until left until like maybe twenty twenty one. No, um, you would have been I at did, college. Uh, what did you do at college? I did a business degree, marketing and languages. I don't know why. I just did it. It was everyone was going to college, and you had to go to college and and get something under your belt and. That was it, and I just picked something. Uh, the only reason I picked it, I think, was because I thought uh, I could do. That was it. I could get into sales, and but and in sales, you could just be driving around. Uh, you could, at least you could be on the road. That was it. I had no interest in being in an office, so I somehow kind of stuck that out and battled away at it for for four years. And as soon as I finished it, I went driving. I straight immediately, like to the day, I went and, and applied for me, <laughs> applied for a uh, a driving test for. Uh, for the for the rigid so i think i did the rigid test i may have actually failed the rigid test the first time around i'm pretty sure i did it was in a something like a 1617 mercedes benz you know with the huge steering wheel and i don't know i did something wrong i, I can't remember and of course i probably devastated at the time but uh i then went and did the arctic test in a little fl probably in a, 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 a it was a sleeper day cab fl10 or fl7 got that of course yeah delighted eureka and immediately 
immediately went driving. But while I had the while I had the rigid license, I remember thinking, you know, this is you don't just straight away and go and drive an Arctic. Like you have to work your way up. So I went and drove an eight wheeler after I finished college for for a couple of months. I drove a nineteen eighty six FL seven eight wheeler, which had which was a UK import. A little day cab one, white one with a with a blue bumper. Nice, uh, nice truck had an Emonox stack, so I was over, I was over the moon with that. Nice sun visor, and and I put a few flags in the windscreen, uh, and it was a the road then for a tipper, yeah, yeah. So that was that was the that was the earliest one. Uh, that, that was the first truck I drove, and maybe maybe two or three months later, did the did the Arctic license, got the Arctic, Arctic license, and straight away then went, uh, went went driving Arctics. I think in the start in the beginning. I think the first truck I was given was um, this was about uh, just trying to think this is about maybe two thousand, and I had a, a a very fresh and like a, an R one two four G four hundred. Now I wasn't given that truck to drive all the time. There was someone else was on. it was quite a big fleet of trucks. They did Irish work and and European work, so someone was on holidays, and I got a one two four four twenty. I had a one thirteen. Uh, 360 as well and uh, I remember you know like any lad starting off making a few mistakes as well I dropped the trailer on his, on its uh, on, on its knees I remember one time in the yard although it was a skelly with, with no container on so I was able to wind the legs back up before and nobody noticed before anyone so <laughs> oh well that's good nobody noticed no but uh, just little mistakes like that and uh, probably just you know stuff that you, inexperienced little mistakes that you make but um they were they were the earliest ones. Mm. Uh, I remember I drove. They had a, they had one Iveco Eurotech as well, and someone had written had got a sticker made up for the back of it. Uh, recycled Scania because all the rest of the trucks were in the fleet. Yeah, I, I don't know what that, but uh, I always remember getting into it and the stink in it was. It was only a couple of years old, but it was stinking inside. And what had happened was the water was was uh, leaking in from somewhere up around the windscreen. Mm-hmm. Or up up top, and it had leaked down, and the the floor mat. So the the actual floor mat, which separated the steel, you know, from where your feet were, which is a really thick piece of, uh, you know, insulation that was just soaking in water, and it just stinking. I had I had to take it out and throw it out. But that thing was, um, in comparison to the Scania, it was such a comfortable truck to drive. So that was they were the first ones I drove anyway. Right, but just to skip back a little bit, when you said. Before you were driving, you went on a European trip, age nineteen. That European trip, yeah. Are you like second man, yeah. like out with, going out with another driver? Yeah, it was Easter nineteen ninety seven, and I had a had a friend, uh, Aidan Donnelly. He drove for Maguire International up in Monaghan. They're still on the go, and uh, they were hauling from a factory here, meat factory, just close to where I live. So we kind of became friends, and and the the idea was I was always going to go on a trip with him. So I think Easter ninety seven, I rang him. And he said, "Listen, I'm going, but it's it's not a long one. We're only going to France." I said, "I, I you know, even if he was only going out to England, I was mm-hmm. I was game ball." But uh, he was just after getting a brand new ninety. Uh, yeah, she was only a few months old. Uh, one of the first of the one. She was a nineteen ninety seven one four 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 sixty, low roof one. You know the one that had didn't have the flat floor in the middle. It had that kind of silly box that had a bit of a slant on it. And either side of the Scania badge, it didn't have those little air vents. It was flat. You'll you'll know what I mean anyway right. if I show you if I show you a picture. Yeah, I think it must have but been, at the at the time uh, it must have been just at the bunk the lower bunk like low down then like there wasn't anything underneath yeah. it you yeah. know like storage or anything. No, that's right. But um, it was to me it was of course it was just like a spaceship and it was uh eight there was maybe I don't know was like ten Maguire trucks that that we shipped out from uh, from from the P and O in, in Dublin 
often often Liverpool. I think that we, we the ferry was delayed when, um, leaving Dublin. So with the result that uh, I think we were we got on, I, I didn't actually sleep for very much of it. I was too excited. And uh, when when we came off, then the other side in Liverpool, it was we came off at night time. That's it. I, I clearly remember that. And and down down through uh, most of the trucks, I think we're heading for Calais that time. We we branched off onto the eight thirty four at Oxford because we were going down to Portsmouth. But uh, I always remember, like I, I think the tiredness got the better of me at that stage on the eight thirty four. And I said I might lay down. Oh yeah, sit in, lay into the bunk there. And I, I just remember, and always just I'll, I'll never I'll never forget. I just kind of drifting off to to the, to sleep. Just to the sound of the V8, you know, the, the turbo whistling underneath you. He, he wasn't on, on cruise control, by the way, either. So that'll probably tell you something. And, <laughs> uh, and, 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 and Talksport Radio, just kind of faintly hear that in the background. It was just, it was just one of those, uh, for me, kind of memorable experiences. And then we got down, we shipped across Portsmouth, Portsmouth to, uh, to Cannes, pretty sure. And we had a couple of deliveries around... Um, Around kind of north north of France, and then and then reloaded back for uh, a place called I think it was a Farnham or Fairham and somewhere down around Essex. Yeah, and right, Fairham. And we reloaded. Yeah, Fairham. There's sure, a Farnham yeah. as well. It could uh, be either. <laughs> yeah, it was somewhere down around there, and um, but I remember. Uh, I think actually I drove the truck in in France again. Like uh, I didn't have a license, but I remember I remember got it. Got to drive it, and of course, then I was I was even more hooked than I was, and and uh, coming home from that trip, that was it. I was it, my future was my fate was sealed from then on. That was it. Absolutely. I, I just said the minute it, it it probably encouraged me actually to finish uh, college and just keep my head down and, and get through it because I didn't want to have to you know repeat anything or drag it out even more. I just wanted to get it to get it done. But that was the days of you know like. 90s and, and CB radios and guys talking to each other and oh, meeting other Irish talking to the continent. Oh, it was just magic. I wish CBs were still a big thing. You know, I, I think there's I think they're great things and they could be so useful today, uh, even with smartphone technology and things. I know that there's a CB app, but I don't know how it works. Probably need to look into it. But I thought they were great. Brilliant, yeah, brilliant. And even you know later, you know, when I started driving myself a few years later, it was it was all CBs and. A couple of years, uh, we used to quite regularly run down to, um, you know, come off from Liverpool and, and run down to to Dover on a Sunday, and there could be a line of us and everyone just having a bit of a uh, crack on the CB or no, they were they were great, but um, I suppose that's just I a, think just, just for, bygone, for kind of bygone era, uh, yeah. real time relaying information about accidents that have only just happened or you know just any any adverse incidents, weather. If the police have got speed traps or anything set up, you know, well, I know that trucks can't speed anymore as such. Well, not on the motorway, but you could still get caught out somewhere else. I just think it's such a shame that they've just fallen off the radar, so to yeah. speak, you know. I, there's not very many people on I them agree. anymore, so shame. But that was you. So you'd gone through, you'd done your... You'd been out uh, as a passenger on some Euro trips. You'd got through college as quickly as and effectively as you could, got your rigid test and was out in the eight-wheeler Volvo. But obviously, you you would have had your eyes on getting into an Arctic and getting yourself uh, over the water. So how that was, what, what yeah, were the exactly. next steps then uh, up the ladder? So the, the next steps then were... Um, 
I probably jumped the gun a bit there. I I I got carried away when I was talking. So yeah, yeah. So I went then driving for that company. It was um quite a big company. They had uh, doing container work around Ireland, but they had European work. So that was the reason I went and drive to drive for them. I knew a local guy here who was driving for them, and I think I went there. I was only there a few months, and they they kind of wound up the continental side of it. But oh. I did one trip, my first trip to the continent, uh, I did for that company. And again, it's, you know, all the memories are, are very, very clear and, and very vivid. And that was in, that was in, you know, one a very, like a, probably it was in 2000 and it was a, a year old, like an R124G 420 with a, with a Euroliner. So the destination was uh, close to Shipall Airport in Holland. So I shipped out Dublin, Liverpool on merchant ferries and then down, you know, down uh, M6 and, and down to Dover. And I always remember uh, waiting, while I was waiting to get onto the ferry in, in Dover, I was talking to a, a guy who had a man roadhouse and I'd never, I'd never been in a man roadhouse before. So I was all over, I was all questions I wanted to see inside. And when I was on the ferry then, I'm not sure it was probably, you know, it was Sea uh, France or, or Pino back then, but I, I, I can, Definitely remember, uh, I didn't really know what I was doing or I'd, I'd never been out before. And I asked, because uh, the idea, you know, you were told, oh, you'll meet such and such, you'll be on the board or there'll be someone else going out. And there was no one else. So I asked, there was a guy from Aitchison Topeka. I always remember this. And they were since, uh, they, 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 they think, I think they actually bought out Ralph Davies since, or there's some sort of a link there. That's why you see Ralph Davies truck. Anyway, different sorts of trailers. Anyway. And his comment to me, I was asking him about, you know, where, where, what way should I go there? And, you know, all these different things, road tax. I didn't have a clue about anything. And he turned around and said to me, he said, you know what? He said, it's quite rare. He said, it's actually unusual to have an Irish Irish fella asking uh, an English lad, like, you know, where, where, what, what am I doing or where am I going? And I said, well, I've never been out here before, so I need all the help I can get. But uh, I came off the boat in, in, in Calais and I came up to the first roundabout and, I was because obviously you're going around the roundabout the other way and everything was just so weird and it took me I just kind of stopped probably for a second figure out am I meant to be driving around the roundabout this way and then up through um, you know up through Dunkirk and I stopped in Mir to buy there used to be a thing called the Shell the, the lads called it the Bible it was, it was for it was for uh, basically a road map of Holland and all the little sites can I say because you wouldn't have had sat nav in yeah. 2000 that wasn't you know no no just and... ma- maps mm-hmm. I bought I bought three things in that when I went into that. This was the I actually thought I was in Mir, but I was in Hazeldunk, which is the one on the other side of the road. But anyway, big truck stop, and instead of buying the correct shell, uh, the Bible they call it, I bought this a TNT uh, map of Holland, and it was like a telephone book. I mean, this thing was seriously thick, but it had every street, all the street names, street number. I bought that. I bought a little uh, a mini scarf that said Europa on it because now I was uh, officially a European, you know, long distance trucker, and I had that in the windscreen. And I bought an, ele- an electric kettle, which I still have, but I think only worked once because God knows that was probably a twenty-four volt, and I plugged it into the twelve volt, or or the other way around, you know, completely. Must have been. Uh, I, I was going to say, does it, does it still work? I've been through a few electric kettles over the years; they don't tend to last particularly well so i was gonna say if you've if you've kept no, it all that well, time I, it must just is it just like a, a sentimental artifact now no it's just a souvenir piece now at this stage yeah i probably put it, it in the mantel shelf the wrong <laughs> slot 
Oh yeah, and uh, I actually, and I, I can still remember this, this smell. You know that kind of a horrible plasticky burning yep. smell. I can still remember that. But um, I, 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 I continued on anyway, and I'm trying to think. I can't remember exactly what it was. It was stillages of something in the in the trailer. Like uh, I don't know what, what exactly they were. It was pretty light load, but uh, I, I definitely remember driving around, uh, kind of sort of country back roads up around Shiphall. You know what the way Holland has these kind of like little canals mm-hmm. and drains, like you know. And I remember, uh, you know, trying to trying to find my way around and looking down at this at this like basically like having a telephone book on the steering wheel, mm-hmm. and I couldn't find it. I, dro- I drove around probably for an hour or two uh, before I actually found it. But I was I was adamant that I was going to find this test this delivery point before I went to bed, and um, I was way over hours. I'd driven from from. Uh, from Liverpool down, you know, mm-hmm. all the way down to England, up, and you probably would have got, you probably get up a few hours up into maybe you know Belgium or Holland, but I, I, I done, done uh, way too much, but I was just so nervous and I wanted to get the job done, and and do it right, so eventually found it, and unloaded the next morning, um, w- wouldn't have had anywhere near a nine hour break, and then uh, I think I had been told that yeah you'd be backloading somewhere around there. This will be all grand. And uh, next thing, I rang the office and uh, you're backloading in Germany. Hey. So yeah. So all right. Okay. Yeah. I did obviously didn't have a map another phone directory. And another. Well, in Germany, um, you see, I didn't have a. You need probably need to be. So I actually had to. I drove to a filling station. I got as far got myself as far as the motorway, and I drove to. I drove to a filling station and within and I and I remember I asked because they wouldn't had a, they wouldn't be selling German maps there. Obviously, you're in the Netherlands, so I asked her uh, which way is Germany. The girl behind the counter, <laughs> which way is you know I I as true as I'm sitting there, I asked which way is Germany. <laughs> so so I, I, I yeah I got uh, I'm trying to think where it was. It was somewhere somewhere in the west of Germany, like could have been over like Dusseldorf or that kind of that sort of. But I think I, I did manage to pull in once I got over the border. Bought bought a map, but. I didn't actually know the difference in when you're looking at those German maps. You've got the road numbers, and then you've got the junction numbers. It was a big like an ADAC ADAC map, and uh, I was just fumbling my way around, like coming off at coming off at junctions that I thought were the road numbers, but they weren't. They were junction numbers, and ended up in towns and oh. um, found me. Yeah, but uh, but it was all it was it was all I suppose a bit of a learning curve and. Got to the got to the loading point. I was loading um like countertops, you know, household countertops for for Cork, and uh, they wouldn't load me because I had no straps. Yeah. Well, that's not your fault. So then, no, not at all. Uh, so I had to go and buy straps. Then, I can, yeah, I must have went off on the on the bouncer. Anyway, I went off and got straps and loaded them and got loaded. And again, uh, I came probably came the wrong way home. I was I was heading back for. Uh, for Calais again, but on hindsight, I went the wrong way. I think I ended up down around Liège, parked somewhere that you're probably advised never park there because you know you get gassed or your curtains slashed. Mm. And, and uh, I was all I was thinking about was ferry times, and um, I was getting a ferry. I remember I got a ferry from uh, once I got it, I got off in Dover. I was heading for Fishguard, so I was working out the ferry times and which ferry I'd make. And you know, thinking, yeah, if I go, if I leave at such a time in the morning, I'll make that ferry, and I won't have to be waiting around. And uh, again, like stopped. God knows, maybe only five or six hours, and and got up and, and headed off again. And I remember like speaking to them the next day, and I said, "Yeah, I'll I'll make uh, such and such a ferry." And there was a bit of a silence on the phone, and I said, 
Oh, will you? <laughs> yeah, and this is okay. <laughs> and and that whatever. was it. But I crack on. I got, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was just you know, like I said, I, I was kind of just. I suppose uh, a lot of nervous anxiety, and this is just just wanted to get it done, you know, and and you didn't want it to turn into a major disaster. Exactly. Like. Anyway, I got, yeah, and I got to I got to Fishguard, and it was like you know, it was just such a such a relief. And speaking, to, I remember speaking to guys waiting to get onto the ferry, and you know, there was lads on about talking about places like Rungies, which is the big uh, meat market in. Um, it's, yeah, you've talked in, about in, that in Paris in the magazine. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, you know, I just had a curtain cider, so you were you were just kind of this sort of greenhorn sitting in the corner, like where all, where all these kind of legends, you know, were with fridges, were talking about rungies and all these different places, and you know, beef, and you were just like, wow, sitting there uh, uh, taking it all in. But that was that was the first trip, and uh, I'll 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 never forget it. And you know, it's I'm sure anyone anyone who's who's driven on the continents will 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 never forget their first trip so um i was probably uh, probably a lot a lot of luck that i that i you know got through it and and didn't didn't end up uh doing a whole heap of wrecking or or probably or, or, or actually even getting pulled and fined which i think that, i think that that would be that would be more the thing to be concerned about rather than wrecking something because in situations like that you're often in such a state of complete high alert and paranoia about everything that I would think that you would probably be yeah. less likely to do so, but you would be more likely to encounter, you know, enforcement authorities for for doing something wrong. But at least then you were on paper but, cards, you know. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, looking back on it, it was it was a great experience and a great way to learn. It was it was that old sort of adage of uh, sink or swim. Definitely. And, and on hindsight, yeah, it's I'm kind of glad that I got. The opportunity to go alone and and get through it because I you know I've often gone places and you know in later years and you're following someone to to uh, to a certain point you know you don't have you don't know where it is and you're and you'll never remember your way back somewhere if if you're following someone and just kind of being spoon fed so, oh, so that was uh, that was that was the, the early one for me anyway. That's how it all started, and I take it you would uh, you got the appetite for it from that, and you were probably out. Were you were you able to get back out again quite soon after that, or was there kind of a gap what? before you could you could get to it again? What what happened there was they had uh, they had wound down their continental ah, yes, side of things. Ah, yes, you said, yeah, and uh, and then uh, I went. I went and drove actually for another guy where I was only there for a few months. I was in a, I was in a ninety six. I was in a one four three, four fifty, and that was with with a carton cider as well, running to to Germany. Um, got on kind of okay there. Didn't really, didn't didn't really love it. It was almost as if it it kind of wasn't really living up to my expectations. But I think that was mainly due to the guy I was working for. And secondly, due to the f- kind of work I was doing and the fact that it was all it was all sort of Germany in the middle of winter. So uh, th- I think it was when I went to I went to Caffrey International then in uh, that was, I think, 2001. That was when, you know, I really, really started to enjoy it, enjoy it and, and, uh, and stayed there for 
stay there for a couple of years. That was where I met, you know, Michael Selby, mm-hmm. who I mentioned in the in the in the most recent update, and and fantastic, really really good times. It was almost like it was, you know, all the expectations I had mm-hmm. were being surpassed by the by the reality of it because we were going to we were going to so many different countries and um, they had such nice trucks and really good group of lads working for them. So it was, uh, yeah, from there on. But again, I don't. It took me a while actually before I actually fully understood much about. Uh, driver's hours that kind of thing because i remember going up the um the corridor in in they call it you know belgium jabik famous place for getting pulled by the police and i got pulled in there on a sunday because we generally ship out on a saturday night and he i remember showing me cards and uh, he came back and i always remember his, his accent he says yes you must pay of course the, the standard line that they'll trot out and like, okay how much and he goes one thousand two hundred and fifty. One thousand two hundred and fifty. Euros. Because I hadn't taken it. Euros, yeah. Which you know, was not fair. Like I'm out back then. Now there was guys getting fined a lot more down in Spain, but still, this, this was my first fine, and I was, you know, I was a bit put out. And uh, what it was, I had, uh, I hadn't taken a twenty-four hour break, so uh, I didn't even know. I didn't just general, genuinely didn't. <laughs> I didn't just, understand. Uh... So then, so then we found uh, because what I would have done, I probably would have, you know, came home. Uh, maybe on a Friday, and then of course, you know, driven to all I would have done is driven to the ferry on a on a on a Saturday, you know, wh- when technically you're not supposed to do any driving at all. It would have had like a half an hour of or whatever an hour of driving or something on a Saturday. So then, of course, um, you know, in in later from from then on, you gotta you spoke to the other guys and and you got a little bit cuter and and uh, you got a few little tips on uh, on how to do it and how not to do it. So <laughs> so I learned, but it's just fun. It's funny now. How everyone is just so consumed by hours and times, and it's just kind of taken a lot of the. It's taken a lot of the the kind of, you know, the spontaneity and 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 the enjoyment and the wonder out of it. That's like you know, I don't, I don't for, for a minute disagree with the fact that there should be, there should be rules on on hours. But I mean, it's just that's all guys can talk about now because mm-hmm. they're just looking up and pressing, you know, pressing on, bits, on bed and you get 24, now we need the 45 and 24s and all. Back then, there was none of that kind of talk nah, because uh, you sort of walked, you walked around. There's a difference between, you know, sneaking onto the ferry on a Saturday and doing a little bit extra, but, you know, ultimately you get the nutters who just want to run 24-7, you know. The guys that have got the mindset, I'm not stopping until, you know, I can physically drive no more. Uh, they, they, they were the kind of guys that the rules were ultimately sort of aimed at, you know. <laughs> Look, at, I know, I know where you're coming from. Yeah, that was that was just. But I, you know, I'm I'm lucky. I count myself lucky that I I got to drive. Uh, I saw the last of the of that kind of uh, you know golden era. Like I'm sure you know, I started off and in the early 2000s. That was kind of that was the tail end of of kind of you know the old days, and I'm sure. Yeah. You know the eighties. I I I'd probably regard the nineties as as being the uh, being the kind of the really really iconic day, uh, era of of long distance driving. Mm. And even I have a couple of friends who are younger than me, and and they sort of lament the fact that 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 they that they missed those, and they've only really kind of come of age when it just coincided with like digi cards and and just uh, all the boring stuff. But That's that you had the you had the power would, the power and the comfort and the trucks by that point, but the technology for monitoring things hadn't caught up. You know, there was still a fair amount of uh, freedom on the roads, and you could fly under the radar and so on. But everything's you know, 
everyone became increasingly more digitised and tracked and everybody knows where everybody's going down to the final minute. So yeah, you definitely did catch the sort of end of that era from the sort of 70s through to the, yeah, the 90s, probably around the sort of millennium, sort of right early 2000s, uh, where, where it was still, yeah. you know, up, up until the end of analogues, really. That's right, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but it's funny, you know, there's still uh, still a couple of, um, you know, a few analog uh, trucks still still running around, mm-hmm. and uh, I al- I always kind of smile to myself when I see some of the some of the bigger fleets, and you'll see the old analog kind of been been pulled out, you know. But um, I think it's just getting difficult for, for everybody. Yeah, missions, um, you know, the, 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 there's definitely a push yeah. to drive older vehicles uh, off the road, you know. Not that it'll make the slightest bit of difference yeah. to the, the air quality or the weather, like these small amount of vehicles, but that's just the way that it's going, unfortunately. Absolutely none, absolutely none, yeah. So that's kind of, uh, I suppose that's that's would probably bring it to a close. Yeah, it's wonderful. Um, that's, there, that's, that's, that's all the... All the earliest memories I have, and look, there's there's other maybe on on the next podcast we can talk about some other sort of memorable uh, well adventures I had on the continent over you know for 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 good and and bad reasons. Absolutely. Well, you know you you've got this uh, huge backlog of stories, so we may as well you know uh, make use of the the ones that you can tell. You know, I'm sure there's some that you probably can't as well. You know, <laughs> to go and well, change I, names I, to protect I think, you the know, <laughs> Time, uh, you know, time is, I'm not saying, you know, time is a healer, but um, there's stuff that, you know, you could talk about that happened 20 years ago and can look back on it uh, and, and smile, but you couldn't really talk about stuff that, that that's more recent because it's... Um, it's probably a little bit too fresh, but uh, no, certainly we'll, we'll we'll have a few stories for next Absolutely. time. Absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. Cool. Well, thanks very much for that, Paul. Um, that was, uh, enjoyed the stories. Hope the listeners did as well. Um, if anybody has got any stories or anything like that they want to go and tell us about, please do get in touch uh, and we'll catch up with you next time. Thank you, Paul. I'll speak to you soon. Welcome, Dougie. Cheers. Good to talk to you. Take Thanks care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Truck and Driver podcast. Please subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. To keep up to date with the latest news, 100% for drivers, visit truckanddriver.co.uk, where you can also subscribe to the print edition of Truck and Driver magazine, which publishes on the last Friday of every month. The Truck and Driver podcast is produced by Sound Rebel. To find out more, please visit soundrebel.co.uk.